You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Uh, Matthew Collar with a deep dive breakdown on Vikings Eagles going forward and mm-hmm. Vikings Saints from the other day. Lou and Annie, a couple days early. Derek Wetmore, we'll get a little Twins talk in today, but a lot of Vikings. A lot of Vikings. A ton of purple. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? Yeah, very impressive defense. They, they play fly around. Uh, they're always in the right spot, and uh, they have some really good players, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl caliber players that uh, can make it tough on us. You know, we can't make these mistakes in, in playoff games, and, you know, we'll be going home. So, you know, there's always good and always bad in some of the games, but we made some critical errors in that game that, uh, you know, that could have got us beat. Now, we, you know, there were some other situations, you know, the third and one where we stopped them. Uh, when they kicked the field goal with time left, uh, obviously the the, the two-minute two-minute drill or the 25-second drill, I guess it would be, you know, those were all good things. So, uh, but there was enough other things in there that we need to get corrected, and uh, and I thought it was important we watch the tape today and and watch some of the mistakes and so that we we try to not do those again. So Vikings and Eagles, we've. The, the the 24 hour rule for the locker room is you can celebrate it you can you can immerse yourself in it for 24 hours and then it's on to the Eagles. Yes, I don't know what the rule is for fans or for uh, for the you know, the media types like you who are in the in the building in the press box. Mm-hmm. I'm still just in shock thinking back two nights ago to that game, and I think I'm caught between like if I could represent the fans, caught between excitement for the Eagles game, the potential Super Bowl, and also. The other side of it, which is, oh my God, we have to do that again, and then maybe wait two weeks and then do it again. It's pretty grueling. When I woke up uh, today, it finally uh, processed. I think it's it took me it took me from the time that Diggs made that catch and scored that touchdown through yesterday for it to actually process. What does that mean I think for it's you? Now when it, when it processes. I I have processed <laughs> the play. I have processed the fact that the Vikings won that damn game. I think it's finally gone through my thick skull. That this team is actually finally, after all these years, won the exact type of game that they always lose. But you're right in this sense. I'm trying to think back of all of the legitimate playoff runs um, that have been that have been put on by good teams in this town. I think this might be the single most grueling, and it's not because it's series, and it's not because it's games. It's because it's quarters. It's quarters of. 17, I mean, at 17 zip on Sunday, you are thinking to yourself, there's more to come. And every, it feels like every bit of this is absolutely grueling. 91 twins, worst of first. It it got tough, but it was a feel-good story. 87 twins, same exact thing. Um, The Wild almost always disappoints, and their playoff run in 2003 was three years in, and you expected nothing. The Wolves, maybe, maybe, but it's been so long. I think this might be the most grueling playoff run that this town has seen in forever. Well, I, I, I'll add to that. I agree. It's it's fun, but it's it's the kind of fun, 
You know, it's uh, it's like watching a horror movie. Even though you kind of hate horror movies, and you're you got your hands over your eyes, and you're kind of like watching half the movie, but you're turning away. And I mean, it's you don't dive right in and stare at the TV, or if you're if you're at the game, you don't. It's not just three and a half hours of feel good. It's roller coaster. It's stomach turning, and it's because of the history of the franchise. Can also combine with the games themselves and the opponents you're playing. I mean, it's 50 plus years of heartache and all of this narrative built up. Right, this is who we are. We are the team that uh, that can the, the wily coyote that can never figure out how to work the dynamite stick. It's the franchise that always breaks your heart. So you're carrying the weight of that narrative and the history of the franchise. And your path is cluttered with Drew Brees and a road game against the Eagles, the number one seed, and maybe Tom Brady. And if not Tom Brady, the team that beat Tom Brady with the top defense in the AFC. It's so it's fun. It's amazing. <laughs> I love immersing myself in it. Is it fun? But at the same time, it's torturous. It's terrible. It's grueling. It's all of these things. How many franchises in sports period have this? The Cubs did, and then they finally won. The Red Sox did, and then they won. I'm trying to think. I mean, when you... The Indians are going through it. When when most teams are up as as significantly as the Vikings were at the half on Sunday, you're thinking to yourself, you're in pretty good shape here. This feels good. If you're a Vikings fan, you were thinking something's going to happen. Another shoe. I mean, how how many fan bases even can identify with the with the amount of trepidation that a Vikings fan still has, e- even when you're up seventeen nothing at halftime at home, like scared of your own shadow yes. trepidation. Like, yeah. Well, the remember the Cubs rightfully so felt that way because it was a hundred years. But the Cubs came all the way back and then they had a lead in Game Seven, like a like a four run lead or whatever it was with the best bullpen in the National League and Araldis Chapman throwing 100 mile an hour bullets. And the Indians came back and tied the game, right? It was very similar. They had to go through that experience and then eventually there was a rain delay uh, and then eventually they had to you know, come back, pull their britches back up and, and push forward with what was the better team. And it's very possible the Vikings are going to have the better team every step of the way. You could argue against the Patriots, but the Vikings have a better defense than New England. I know New England's held opponents to fewer points over the past, like, 10 weeks. Um, but I would still take the Vikings' defense over New England. The Vikings have probably better overall offensive weapons than New England, even though New England has the best offensive weapon. But you got to get through the Eagles first to that's, even get to that yes, matchup, and that's yes. three weeks down the road. I yeah. I feel like even getting to, to that game, playing these two games, is absolute hell. Like, even getting <laughs> to that game, if you, if you get... To the Super Bowl, uh, I'll redefine my personal feeling here, but uh, but the only the only thing I can compare this to is in '91 uh, in the Morris game, it got to the point of your palms started to sweat. Right? I mean, you're, you're like, this is an unbelievable game, but it's zero zero, and it can go either way. The only comparison I can make is this feels like two weeks of that game. This feels like two continuous weeks yeah. of, oh my god. Yeah, where, where baseball and hockey have, I think, the in-game advantage for tension is there's no end point. If you get to overtime in a Game 7, and the Wild's been there a number of times in its franchise history, or, or a baseball game that's tied, there's no clock in baseball. And even if it's not tied, like you got to get the outs. you got to finish the game. you got to get the outs, uh, which you know, the Cubs couldn't for a while. But where football comes back over the top, and you just mentioned it, you have to wait a week. Yes, 
You have to wait a week. While thinking about... Or every, two weeks if they win this game. While contemplating everything that can possibly go wrong. And right. in the Vikings case, that's a lot of things. Right. Ding, ding. All right, here, here's another question to get to. How much validation does Stefan Diggs' miracle touchdown need in the history of the NFL or in the history of the Vikings in terms of where it would stand? If you're going to rank all the great plays in postseason history or all the great plays in NFL history... How much validation does this play need? Gannon steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Vikings win it! So I have a theory I want to run by you. Mm-hmm. As a standalone play, if, it, if, if we don't know anything about the rest of the context, if we just know it's a playoff game, we don't know how the Vikings fared the next week or in the rounds going forward, it's one of the most identifiable plays now, I think, in NFL history because it puts a stamp on a franchise that really doesn't have any of these. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's an identifiable play now in Vikings franchise history in the NFL just as a standalone play. It's a walk-off touchdown where regulation walk-off touchdowns don't happen in a sport where it just doesn't happen. So, standalone, it's up there. But I did some thinking on this. If they pay it off with a Super Bowl championship... It becomes something much bigger, and I'm going to give you two different plays to illustrate why that is, all right? And just think about the degree of difficulty for these two playoff miracle plays that I'm going to throw out at you. The catch from 1981 or 1982, I guess it was January 1982, Mm -hmm. uh, the the 81 season. Mm -hmm. Joe Montana to Dwight Clark compared to the Music City Miracle, the 1999 Tennessee Titans. It was a 2000, January 2000 playoff game. Mm -hmm. So... There's a reason why the catch, despite having a far lesser degree of difficulty, mm-hmm. is a more noteworthy play historically. And I don't think anyone would dispute that. If you're ranking the greatest plays of all time, people would say, oh, Montana to Dwight Clark is number one or whatever. And then the Music City Miracle is in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, without the context of what happened after the, the play was over mm-hmm. or in the ensuing weeks, Joe Montana took the snap from the six-yard line. There was 58 seconds left. It was a third and three. And it was a rollout to the right and a throw in the back of the end zone. And Dwight Clark had to jump a little bit and he made the catch. He had to jump over a phone book at least. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the context, they could have gained three yards for a first down. Even if that pass is incomplete, there's almost a minute to go. They have a fourth down play. They're down by six and they need a touchdown. But they had another play. They could have gained a first down then had a fresh set of downs. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of things that could have happened even if that throw sails through the back of the end zone. The Tennessee Titans' degree of difficulty had 16 seconds left, and were getting a kickoff. And they had to go, though they were down by one, so they had to at least get into field goal range to uh, to beat the Bills. But degree of difficulty, all right, here's the ball, here's the circumstances, yep. go win the game. Much more difficult and much more rare, the Music City Miracle. But the reason why that play ranks lower is because the catch launched a Super Bowl championship it defined and something. a dynasty for a decade yeah. and a half, right? Yep. Yeah, I think there's two bins here. If you're a Viking fan, uh, 25 years from now, if I say Stefan Diggs, this catch is going to come to mind, and and this play will always carry um, a top five uh, piece of Viking lore. That being said, the second bin is this. Is this Dave Roberts stealing second base for the, the Sox against the, the Yankees in what, game four in 2003? Because... 
why that play is so special was that defined a turning point in that fr- franchise's history. And they didn't lose again. Exactly. So so this this catch will always be incredibly special and and won't be forgotten ever. But how it's this has an opportunity to def- to redefine how we think of this franchise, and it's not there until they paid this thing off entirely. So so bin two is. 25 years from now, if the Vikings have won a couple of championships and I say, Stefan Diggs, you're not just going to think, where was I when that catch was made to win that game? You're going to think that is the catch that changed the course of yeah. this franchise. And that is is the second bin that's the difficult one to get to. In fact, there's you know, this is a whole other path we could go down, but where the memorable play that happened maybe in the game or the week or the series before the championship took place is actually more memorable. Miracle on Ice is another one. The Miracle on Ice didn't win the gold medal. The US hockey Correct. team had to go had to go forward on and Sunday. pay it off, right? Yep. Yep. Now, would that if they had lost who they play Sweden in the championship? Did they played Finland. Finland on Sunday. And they the let's say they had lost 4 to 3 and it was a buzzkill. Yeah, People care. would still talk about, man, that game against the Russians, yep. but they wouldn't talk about it as the miracle on but ice. That's that's what why Herb Brooks had the great speech before that 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 game when he said, "Boys, if you don't win this game, to win the gold now, you're going to take it to your grave. And you're then he stopped grave. and he said, you're bleeping grave. Yeah. And But that's that's the same thing that, that Mike can say here. Because this catch is really cool and it's fun to talk about. But if you now turn around and win the Super Bowl here on, fe- on February 4th, the Diggs catch becomes franchise defining. It changes everything as far as Vikings fans know this franchise. Yes. I, I still, that Red Sox comparison is such a great one because it was... You know, it wasn't quite as long of a drought for the Vikings, who have only been in existence since you know, 1960, 1961. But the Red Sox went 86 years, and it looked like, here we go again. Mm-hmm. High expectations. This was supposed to be the year. And we're down three games to none and down a run in the ninth inning. And then all of a sudden, that play happens. And it's it's like the entire history of the franchise flips around on that one and they enter this new era of championships and winning. And I mean, if if you were born in what year was that? 2004. So if you were born anytime after the year 2000, you don't remember the Red Sox as this woe is me franchise, correct? as this down on its luck, Eeyore franchise. No, you remember the Red Sox. If you're, you know, you're in high school right now, you're thinking about the Red Sox as this sort of unlikable, Uh, almost the Yankees, right? If this digs catch results in a Super Bowl championship, Anderson, Walsh, Favre are still recalled, but not in the same way. We we quit talking about them in the vein that, that we've been talking about them since '98, and all of this started to transpire. If this catch pays off, yes. So standalone, it's one of the greats of all time, and we're gonna later on we're gonna rank our top Minnesota sports plays in history. We'll do that in a couple hours. Lou Nanny's going to join at the top of the hour. Uh, Matthew Collar's coming in here next. and We can go deep dive on Viking Saints, locker room uh, nuggets from the last couple days, and also a look ahead to Vikings Eagles and a lot more on uh, on the Vikings going forward here. Plus, we're, our content on 1590ESPN.com has been blowing up the last couple days. Record downloads on Vikings Ventline. Uh, Big-time downloads on Purple Podcast. We had a record, our hour one from yesterday on our show was a record number of downloads for the Mackie and Judd show over the past couple of years. So we thank you guys for uh, for tuning in and stick with us all week. If you don't catch us live, you can always catch us 
iTunes, and we have a full podcast center on 1500ESPN.com, so check it all out. Let's talk more when Matthew Cother comes in here, but I have a question for everyone first before we go anywhere. It's maybe kind of a dumb question if you think about the answer. Would you turn down a job that paid thirty to $60,000 an hour? No, I did not misspeak. I said thirty to $60,000 an hour. Well, that's what you'd be doing by not attending the seller workshop put on by the Chris Lindahl team, the number one REMAX results team. In about an hour, you'll learn the secret sauce, how to potentially make thirty to $60,000 more on the sale of your home. I can speak from firsthand experience working with the Chris Lindahl team. This is not just uh, beefed up marketing talk. These people are for real. The world has changed when it comes to home selling. If people are still doing it the traditional way and leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the table. To find out more about the Seller Workshop, go to workshop uh, sellerworkshop.com. That's sellerworkshop.com. Or call 763-401-SOLD. 763-401-SOLD. Chris Lindahl. Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Bring it on! This is 1500 ESPN. Steps into it. Passes. A couple tweets here, interesting tweets from uh, people listening this morning. Matthew Collar is hanging out with us. Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com. Check out his work. JD says, you know who feels our pain? Eagles fans. No championships in the Super Bowl era. One Super Bowl loss in the McNabb era with a ton of consecutive conference championship games. Sunday is Cinderella versus Cinderella not even mentioning the quarterbacks who are also Cinderella's. Um, you guys ever seen the meme on social media where Spider-Man is looking at Spider-Man? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but it's the perfect meme for this game of one team just looking in the mirror. One organization that was good for a long time and very relevant and always in NFC Championship games, but always tended to have things go wrong. Uh, They're on their backup quarterback. The starting quarterback is hurt. The defensive line is unbelievable for both of these teams. The weapons are really good on offense. I mean, I think that the Vikings have the overall stronger roster, but these two teams are extremely similar in many ways. I think that's a good point by the person who tweeted you. What uh, do we make now of Nick Foles, what, four starts in? Uh, 30% of Nick Foles' passing yards were air yards, meaning that, Everyone had to catch the ball and run after catch, which is basically what Case Keenum has done all year. So any success that Nick Foles is going to have is going to be based on his supporting cast. I'm going to have to say every time I'm actually talking about the Eagles here. I'm actually talking about the Vikings because you could say the same thing for for, for both of these teams, and every once in a while, Nick Foles will make the worst throw you've ever seen, and you just rip your hair out. And every once in a while, Nick Foles will make a great throw, and you'll say, who just did that? And, and that's the same thing with Case Keenum. I, I think that Keenum is a better quarterback, but the edge is not huge. Uh, probably the edge in wide receivers is a, is a little bit there, but Philadelphia has decent receivers, probably has a better running game. Definitely has a better offensive line at this point than the Vikings do with the Vikings being all shuffled. But but I thought the line held up pretty well against the Saints. Uh, so Nick Foles has is, is got a lot of people around him to help him in this game. And if the Vikings allow the Eagles to run, 
um, then they're going to be in trouble because he. it's not like he's completely inept. He's just not a great quarterback, but he showed against the Falcons that he can make some plays. Yeah, I think you know that this doesn't guarantee Vikings victory, but really the Saints brought so many things to the to the Vikings in that game. First of all, they brought a Hall of Fame quarterback who was absolutely unstoppable in the second half. He was like 17 of 22 and had three touchdowns, no interceptions, a bunch of yards, and they just found a way to adjust against a really, really good Vikings defense. The Saints bring weapons. They bring a running game. They bring a pass rush. They brought all these things in waves, especially in the second half, and the Vikings found a way to narrowly escape with a win. I think the only thing the Eagles bring that the Saints didn't bring, and it's an important thing, is home field advantage. Um, I mean, that's why the Vikings are favored on the road by three points. The people in Vegas are are looking at that game and saying, yeah, the Vikings on a neutral field are probably like, you know, close to a touchdown favorite and give give the Eagles some credit for home field event. And that doesn't guarantee the Vikings are going to win. And the letdown factor is going to be interesting. Can you get back up to 100 mm-hmm. percent and not settle in at like 80 uh, percent? By the way, I just pulled up Nick Foles' stats from the Atlanta game. Tell me if this sounds exactly like a Case Keenum line. 23 for 30, 246 yards, only sacked once, 100 quarterback rating. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> that's, yeah like, it's very that, close. That, that's exactly it. Yeah, With this team, I wouldn't have so much worry about the letdown factor. I mean, it really stuck out to me that in the locker room, Harrison Smith was already telling me he was on to Philadelphia. <laughs> and then Mike Zimmer started his press conference yesterday. And you've got Peter King in the house. Right, so Peter King is there for Mike Zimmer's press conference. This is yesterday, and, right? Yeah, yeah, and so like national people are there already for this, and all they want to hear is Zimmer talk again about the the play. And he opens his press conference by shredding the team with all the mistakes they made in the second half. Yeah. and he wanted to make it quite clear that he was moving on to Philadelphia. And there aren't guys who are happy to be here in this spot. Every one of these guys expected to be in this spot. And they won, they won by a miracle, but Stefan Diggs wouldn't even talk yesterday. He said, I talked about it last night. I'm moving on. And, and you know, other, other guys still would, but I think that the mentality of the core players of this team is very much, yeah, well, okay, it took a miracle to get here, but we expected to be in the NFC title game. And even Terrence Newman, I remember way back in March when he resigned, he said, I would not have come back. No way. At my age, I've made a few dollars in my day. There's no way I would come back and abuse my body like this again if I didn't believe we could win a ring. So this team has thought that they deserve to be here all year long. They're not one of those like, yeah, we got a miracle. Yeah, we're here. Good for us. And if we lose the next game, oh, well, we gave our fans a great moment. That is not the mentality of this team. The thing that's nice is is they they got that. But when you cons- consider the trifecta of things that went wrong and they still won, when you consider that, that you've got your missed field goal at the end of the first half, you got your Keenum pick that we talked about all last week. My God, if he throws that ball, it's a problem. He did. It got picked. Uh, you got your block punt. I didn't even see that coming. Yeah. And despite that fact, you, you still won. I mean, that's where that's where if you are a Viking supporter, you start to think it might be different because it's not like things went right. It's not like you you were blanking them at the half and then you gave up a late touchdown and it's no big deal. The nice thing about this is you had your trifecta of things go wrong, and you still won. It reminds me a little bit of 2015 when the Broncos ended up in the Super Bowl where the Patriots kicker missed an extra point, and he had never missed an extra point before. 
right? Wasn't that the first year that they moved the extra point back and he had hit all of them all year and then he misses one and all of Tom Brady's offensive linemen got hurt. And then I think he had to get a two-point conversion at the end and he didn't come through with a two-point conversion. And the game before that, Antonio Brown had gotten hit by Vontez Burfecht and he was out for the Steelers. And when he's not playing, the Steelers are not anywhere close to the same team. It was like every week something aligned perfectly. And then even in the Super Bowl, the field was trash. So none of their, uh, none of the linemen could block for Cam Newton. And then there was a fumble by the Panthers. I think like Mike Tolbert or someone fumbled. There was dropped passes. It was like, it was just everything was guiding Peyton Manning to the Super Bowl. And when something like that happens for you the other night, you feel like, man, there is just the luck is going our way, but there's no way to tell if that's going to carry over to Philadelphia. Yeah. What would you say of having kind of perused around, uh, you know, after the game Sunday around winter park yesterday, what are some things you're picking up? I think what you mentioned about the team already implementing the 24-hour rule and discussing the things that annoyed them about the second half of the Saints game. That's interesting. What are some other things that would be interesting for fans just kind of behind the scenes the last couple of days? What do you mean about just the play or I would say just like reactions uh you know players discussing it behind the scenes and the general vibe of of the locker room. Well, I think my favorite story was Caleb Jones, the practice squad wide receiver. Is that, who the, is that the guy who was in a like, track suit running down there, jumping like a gazelle? He was the first guy that hugged <laughs> Stefan Diggs. And for a minute, he thought that he had drawn a flag from running on the field. And so for that split second in Caleb Jones's mind, he thought, I just ruined the best moment in Minnesota Vikings history. Wow. He thought he was going to get flagged. And then when he saw Diggs throw the helmet, he was like, okay, all right, we won. The game's over. I, I think I'm okay here. But imagine that, that they score this touchdown and they get flagged for having a guy from the sideline run onto the field. They pull it back. They lose the game. I mean, that would have been the most Minnesota Vikings disaster and ever. Here's the thing. Like, people rip on the NFL for, I think the NFL probably gets crushed a little bit too much. Like, 46 million people watch the end of that game. The NFL may not be quite the ratings juggernaut it was two or three years ago, but the NFL is still very much pumping pumping blood. But where I will rip the NFL, they get so caught up in procedural stuff. Oh, yeah. So the game kicking everyone off the field, is right? Absurd. Like the game ends, and it's the most spectacular finish maybe in postseason history because it's never happened before. And Diggs, just full of emotion, throws his helmet, and then two things happen after that. Two officials have to sheepishly reach into their pockets and pull out their flags and toss the flags on the ground because that's a penalty, even though the game is over. But it's not really over because here's the second thing. We have to clear all of the media and all of the people on the field and then summon 11 Saints players, including their punter with eight broken ribs, yeah. <laughs> to come out for a pointless extra point yeah. that Case Keenum is just going to kneel down anyways. Yeah, like, don't yeah. buzzkill it, NFL. It was a little anticlimactic, but it also created another great moment where Case Keenum started doing the skull chant sure. and no one had left their seats whatsoever. So it was like, I mean, it feels a little contrived when they do it. I'm not ripping the skull chant. I'm just saying like, okay, everyone be quiet. Now we've got the big drum to have it happen organically like that was yes. even louder and even more powerful than it would be if they brought out the big guy with the drum. Yeah. So even though it was ridiculous, I agree. I thought, how are they even going to get all these people off the field and where did the saints go? And, uh, but, but, <laughs> but then it results in another really cool moment for everybody who went there. And, uh, I also think just from from every player down in the locker room, it was interesting to me the reaction from guy to guy to guy. 
how, you know, Kyle Rudolph was very analytical in his breakdown where he was saying, okay, this was my route and this is what happened. And this is, then we saw the safety and all that. And there were other players who just like blacked out with joy <laughs> and had no idea what happened. Like, Anthony, like Keenum did. Yeah. Keenum and, and Anthony Barr. I, I asked Anthony Barr what happened on another defensive play. And he's like, I have no idea. I just, he couldn't, <laughs> couldn't even talk about it yep. because the third and one stop where Anthony Harris makes a, a tackle is the only reason you have a chance to, to make that play. That was the, the biggest play. That's the biggest play well, of the game that no one's. I mean, obviously the Diggs play was the biggest play. And, but, Sean, and Sean Payton had a terrible game. Sean, yes, Sean yes. Payton had a terrible yeah, but game. On that, yeah. But on that third and one, if they if they gain a yard, yes. they then run the clock down to one second yeah. and the game is over. And, it's and funny, they run into Linval Joseph. Yep. And, and it's funny that Anthony Harris makes a great stop. Anthony Harris is good at one thing, and that's run stopping. Mm-hmm. And he's in the game because Andrew Sandejo suffers a concussion. And so Harris, who's very good at going forward and being aggressive in the run, gets behind uh, through a gap and makes that stop in the backfield. And again, yeah, don't run at Limbaugh. But if, so that's just if, you're, if you're going to run that play, if, if you insist on that play, then have Breeze take the ball and fall forward. Oh, I agree. Yeah, have I agree. your quarterback. For them on third and one to call that play, and earlier in the game, for them on third and one to call a lateral and then a pass to Willie Sneed the fourth is among the dumbest things I've ever seen. Yeah, I love the fourth. Have, <laughs> have Drew Brees, I mean, have your quarterback just go forward. Yeah. If, that, or, if, if you're going to insist on going at the nose tackle, then that gives you the best chance. Or even, I mean, you've got two you've got of got a lot of options. Be- you got two of the best running backs in the league. How about pitch out to one of them or something like I that? I know. But they were trying at the same time to set up the field goal kicker in the middle, and Linval Joseph told me after the game that he knew that that was going to happen. I mean, that the, the entire defense knew that they were going to try and set the kicker up in the middle of the field, and so they had a really good sense but for to your what point, kind of Matthew, play they were going to run. They can kick from the hash marks. Oh, yeah, these guys These are, guys are these professional guys are kickers. Fine. They don't need to be in the middle of the field. They're not six years old. In fact, I've always, always kind of thought that that might hurt them a little bit because they never kick from the middle of the field. They're almost always on a hash mark, so kicking from the middle would be like a little awkward, except for maybe the, the extra points change that now. Uh, but... The, the things that had to come together, the reaction in the locker room was was different from guy to guy. And, you know, I mentioned Harrison Smith moving on very quickly. Other guys were shocked. Other guys just, you know, couldn't talk or were in tears or things like that. I mean, it was um, the most unique locker room I've ever been a part of yeah. because usually, usually there's always a vibe. There's always everybody's kind of on the same page. Whether they're really angry about the loss or whether they're sort of, they won, but they're not impressed with themselves or whether they're super jacked. This was from different sections of the room. There were different reactions. But you know what? The one thing that was all the way through that guys wouldn't say on the record, but off the record, they were saying to each other, they could not believe what Marcus Williams did. Dude, that, they were stunned. I put I put fifty percent on just being a bonehead rookie, but also fifty percent on Sean Payton and the defensive coaching staff. Absolutely. They called a timeout. Yeah. Before that play. Why? Or, or maybe two plays, whatever. What They called the timeout on that series. And for, for that to not be clearly communicated and and maybe communicated 10 different times, okay, don't commit a penalty, but also, so don't headhunt, if you're, especially the safeties. And also, if he catches the ball inbounds, just grab him, hold right. him, mm-hmm. and pin him to the ground. Like I, it's, I mean, I, I think about, like, uh, I mean, I put myself in the situation and say, if I was out there playing safety, wouldn't I just watch him catch the ball and be like, come to daddy yeah. and just accept him into my arms. And he was pretty far away, away. by him. And he was pretty far away from the sidelines. I'll tell you what, though. 
Wouldn't you do that? Wouldn't you just grab him with both of your arms and fall to the the ground with him? The end of that game perfectly makes up for 2009. And it's inexplicable what's Favre doing. Why are you throwing back into the middle of the damn field? Which Case did, actually, on a a play. Twelve men, though. I I mean, if if you think about the Vikings lost that game largely because of a colossal meltdown. This was the exact same type of meltdown. And they and they had a penalty on a touchdown too. Illegal motion. I mean, the they'll, Saints fans will always remember the digs catch and wonder what Marcus Williams was thinking. But they've also got to be saying to themselves, illegal motion took a touchdown off of the board at that point. And all the, you're right, all the stars that had to align. Everson Griffin throwing his arms in the air and having that football bounce off the back of his hand and turn into a touchdown. I mean, at that point right there, Drew Brees was starting to catch fire. And if they score there, I mean, the Vikings do not win the game. Yeah. Let's come back. Matthew Kyler hanging out with us. We have a great email from a Vikings fan from Australia who watched the game in a a different time zone and has a a great story about it. And uh, much more Vikings discussion. Purple Podcast is blowing up. Go, Go download and subscribe if you haven't checked it out yet. And uh, go read Matthew Collar's work on 1500ESPN.com. Phil Mackey. This guy is absolutely elite. It's kind of like you're looking at your brother. I didn't know who had more energy. Judd Zolgad. I even hesitate to disagree with him because he's so knowledgeable and he knows way more than I ever will. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. He just get a player's hope. You know, he just get in the huddle and let him know, you know, I'm going to get you the ball. I mean, I'm going to give you a chance to just make a play on the ball, you know, and try to help us win the game. You know, you want a quarterback like that that can sit there and motivate you and let you know, like, no matter what, no matter what situation you open, I'm going to try to find you. It's uh, Xavier Rhodes talking about Case Keenum. I want to read you guys an email real quick here from Ro- Rohan. Rohan. Remember, what was that movie about Zohan? Zohan? No, Dave. No. Did you ever see that? Remember the Zohan or something? Uh, Adam Sandler movie. Adam right? Sandler. You don't yeah. mess with the Zohan. You don't mess with the Zohan. Yeah, I didn't see it. Don't not, mess with the not Rohan. A Sandler hit. I take oh. it. Uh, there's not many Sandler hits, and those that were came a long time ago. Yeah, they were good. It was on the the, the downslide. I think that Zohan movie. Yeah. Remember the Rohan though. That's the email movie that came in here. He says, "Hi guys. I know I'm a day late." I'm in Australia, so I listen to the show via the podcast, but I may have an interesting answer to the question you asked about where were you for the Vikings-Saints game. With the time difference for the game, um, I had to leave for work 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, so I recorded the rest of the game. To be absolutely sure I wouldn't have the score told to me, I turned my phone off for the whole day, ate my lunch in my car in case the score was mentioned on the TV in the lunchroom at work, and spoke to as few people as possible. It was the longest nine or so hours of my life waiting to go home and watch the ending. And as they say, the rest is history. My reaction to the Diggs touchdown was a combination of Everson's Griff- Everson Griffin's interview with Josina Anderson and Phil's expression on the Facebook live stream of Vikings Ventline. Love the show. So uh, from Australia, he had to avoid all results in human contact for nine hours. That's I, great. I think we have all tried that at one point or another and failed every single time. Like, <laughs> You know, I'm I'm not gonna look at the front page of the paper. I'm not. I'm gonna tell people that I run into. Don't tell me the score, but it never works. I mean, you always end up bumping into it, especially with uh, social media. So yeah. I I salute you, sir. That's I, impressive. I think that the most fun thing about this entire digs catch is is hearing the stories now, like where people were. And, I got another one if and you recounting want. it. I. It's just. It's so. It's so interesting. The the reaction and like 
I was trying to ignore it, or this one. Uh, ooh, good segue there. Thank you. Max Radio emails in. Judge yes, he is. Max emails in from Seattle. This past Sunday, I chose to watch the game at my uncle's house, who was also born and raised in Minnesota. Though over the past 10 years, he's identified as a Seahawks fan. Unlike him, my blood has been purple since birth. I will remain that way, always. Uh, I, too, like many, didn't witness the last play of the game. After the false start penalty on first down, with sweaty hands and a shaky posture, I looked up at him and said, I can't do this. The look on his face was, are you sure? Needless to say, three minutes down the road, my phone started blowing up. It was my aunt screaming on the other line. They won, I swear to God. I immediately said, no, wait, what? I have to call you back. As soon as I hopped the phone, I began sobbing uncontrollably in my car. The tears haven't stopped. Not only did I continue to cry watching all the fan reactions online until the wee hours of the morning, but I started my day listening back to your podcast, where I ended up again breaking down in my car (laughs) on my way to work this morning. That's awesome. All things said, thanks for doing what you guys do. Uh, Here's to taking down Philadelphia next week and bringing it home. Uh, Hashtag I bleed purple. That's awesome. And we've been getting, we've been reading all your emails. We don't have time to read all of them on the air, but these are, we see them and we appreciate it. That's I, awesome. I feel very much about these fan reactions like I feel about people who like boating. Like, I have no interest in going out on a boat. It terrifies me. But I love sitting at the side of the uh, water and watching everyone go wee across, the, right? Like, that's one of my favorite things to be at the beach or to be at a lake. Observer of life, Matthew Collard. On the <laughs> sidelines and watch everybody enjoy their boating life. And it's the same thing with this. Uh, uh, you know, of course, other radio shows looking for guests called me because I'm the Vikings reporter yesterday. So I think I did like seven or eight of these things because it's being talked about everywhere. I was in Canada three different times. Boom. And uh, every one of them, every one of them asked, so what was your reaction? I was like, well, I mean, I said to Judd, wow, what a play. And then we started like talking about how we're going to write about it. We have the least interesting reactions ever, but these are so fun to take in and watch. They never get old. I think the thing is, I, I'm not a huge fan now, but I can identify. I mean, I love the Cubs in 84. I love the North Stars. So I get I get the reaction. The one thing, having grown up here and been a Vikings fan at one time, too, for me, is these people have been through so much, you can't help but feel good. Mm-hmm. Like, it was seeing that and the jubilation and people crying and players crying, that is really, really cool. Because it's not like, okay, that, that was one uh, one great play, but you had a great play two years ago, and you're going to have a great play next year. I mean, for the Vikings, this doesn't happen. For these people, this does not happen. Yeah, no, and then, yeah. in fact, we, were, we started the show off talking about the significance of the play itself in a vacuum with no other context as a standalone play. It's one of the most unique and greatest and most memorable in NFL history. Just that it's never happened in a postseason game. Over time, you get walk-offs, obviously, it's sudden death. But I said this to Judd. If you think about the historical context and meaning of this play, I give you two examples that are pretty far apart in terms of how they're remembered on the the list of greatest plays of all time. The catch, Joe Montana to Dwight Clark, which is widely regarded right next to the Immaculate Reception as one of the defining plays in NFL history. And then I'll give you the Music City Miracle. Which if you take... Of course you would. Yeah, I'm sorry. Buffalo. Yeah, I don't mean to dig in the knife here. But if you take degree of difficulty, 
Montana had 58 seconds left. It was actually third and three from the six-yard line. So if that pass sails out of the back of the end zone, it's fourth and three. They can even get like four yards and a first down, then run more plays, and there's 50 seconds left. There's a lot of things that could happen even if you don't complete that pass. Degree of difficulty, the Tennessee Titans had 16 seconds left. We're down by one. I think they were out of timeouts. So they had they had to go. Like you got to do something. Um, but and I'm not advocating for the Music City Miracle to be above the catch. I'm saying the catch is above the Music City Miracle because of what happened after it. That the 49ers won their yeah. first championship, and then they went on to go 15 years of a dynasty. And the Titans got beaten the Super Bowl a couple weeks later by the the St. Louis Rams. The Music City Miracle is a far far more improbable play than either of those two though. I mean by a million miles. Mm-hmm. There was a guy from SB Nation who did an analysis of every time teams had tried to throw laterals. And between the Music City Miracle and now, only one other time has a team scored a touchdown when they threw all the laterals. Do you, you remember? I, I do. It was the Saints, uh-huh. and they missed the extra point that would have sent them to the playoffs. Correct, and I believe it was against the Jaguars. Right? I, I, think, I can't remember I think, the opponent, I, but I yeah. think it was. Yeah, it was Week it, Seventeen. It, was, it yeah. was ludicrous. I mean, they threw it all over the place, and uh, I don't know. There were several plays that probably could have been uh, replayed to see if a guy's knee was down. It was insane. It was it was far <laughs> more throws than just the one, and way more improbable. But I mean, the fact that. Not just in the playoffs, but in any regular season game, that that hadn't happened from the Music City Miracle to now more than once. I mean, throwing a pass at the end of a game and having a guy run for a touchdown happened in Week 17 with Cincinnati. I mean, Mike Zimmer brought it up yesterday when he was with the Bengals. They had that one in the opening week of the season where it was tipped to Brandon Stokely at the last second, and they ran for a touchdown. I mean, it does happen much more often. I think the estimated odds were... 2.6%, 2.6%, which I thought, well, that's a little higher than I would have expected, actually. Um, that's not to take away from the craziness of what happened. It's extremely unusual. Um, usually you get maybe a shot at a last-second field goal there. But I look at the Music City Miracle for playoff history as the most improbable play to happen. Yeah, this play this play is a really, really cool play. And it's go, it's going to be a play that 20 years from now, if I say Stefan Diggs, you say this play. Yeah. But what I told Phil is this. If this now gets paid off with a championship, it's a franchise-defining play oh, that, that begins to erase or does Anderson's miss, Favre's pick, Walsh's miss. I mean, we'll we'll always talk about those things, but if the Diggs play now results in a Super Bowl championship, yep. the entire light in which we see this franchise immediately pivots. The way I would put it is it'll be a statue. Like yep. so, somewhere at U.S. Bank Stadium, outside U.S. Bank Stadium, outside U.S. Right. Bank Stadium, Stephon Diggs going up for that catch or throwing his helmet, whichever one will be a statue. And also, by the way, just I just 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 let me pimp this a little bit, pimp this home run. Stephon Diggs is still one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. If you played fantasy, I'm sorry he had a groin injury in the middle of the year. But in terms of contested catches, he was number one in the NFL. Completion percentage, contested catches. He is an unstoppable wide receiver. And the fact that they decided to put Marshawn Lattimore on Adam Thielen, I think was a mistake. I mean, Thielen is a great, great wide receiver, and they're one and one A for sure. They're both superstar players. But I would have put Lattimore on Stephon Diggs because this game screamed Stephon Diggs is going to kill you. And the fact that when at the end of the game they throw the ball up, and it's a safety who's got to make a play on him and not the best cornerback you have, I think that was an error by them. Matthew Collar talking Vikings, Mackie and Judd. 
Mackie and Judd now continue. Stand aside, everyone. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Hey, you can join me, Dave Harrigan, in supporting the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation at the Bar Olympics being held this Saturday, January 20th at Union 32 Craft House. That's down in Egan from 2 to 5 p.m. featuring afternoon of great games, food, drink specials, prizes. Participants will compete in a number of events to see who can bring home the gold. Top performers awarded prizes courtesy of 1500 ESPN and Union 32. All the details, 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. Thank you, Dave Harrigan. We got Matthew Collar in here in about 10 minutes. Lou and Annie, we'll talk some hockey with him, but I think just he's a huge Vikings fan, yep. and so he's probably going to have a lot of thoughts. And I mean, he, he gets pretty nervous watching sporting events. I mean, he couldn't watch about. his own hockey games when he was the GM back in the day. That's so what I'm curious about. We'll see what his reaction is, but... Um, how much do you guys worry if the, if this was college football? I would say big letdown about to happen. Where the you upset the number one team in the country and you got to come back the next week against a good opponent and you get and you just fall behind twenty one to three or something. Is the letdown factor a thing here, or is is a Mike Zimmer coached team? Just so tunnel vision focused on what's what's to come that it's not going to matter. I do not think that they will have any problems in that area because of the number of professionals that they have. And I, I mean, you expect everyone to act professionally if they're on a professional football team, but it is definitely not the case when yeah. it comes to getting 53 guys on the same page. You have so many veterans. You have so many superstars. You have so many guys that look at that game as soon as they wake up Monday as in the past and on to the next one that I wouldn't expect that, though I would say this just for everybody else, like, do not underestimate the Philadelphia Eagles. Because they're saying basically the same things of our supporting cast for this quarterback is so good, Mm -hmm. our defense is so good, and we get to play this game at home. And if you saw that field, it is a bucket of garbage, that field. It's just (laughs) trash. The Falcons, I think, beat them by two touchdowns if they are not sliding all over the place. And it's going to be wet on Sunday, right? I think it's supposed to be around 50 in Philly and wet. I would actually make an argument that, that with a Zimmer coach team, I think this helps. I think that this I think the way that game came to a conclusion yeah. against the Saints helps because it's easier now for him to go in and say, "Okay, boys, we did it now, but but this might be a temptation not to focus. It gives you more reason to." And I would also say this. This team to me and Collar has certainly been around them more than me. This team to me seems to be sort of one of those weird teams where it's like that that year in high school you don't want to end. It's just a fantastic year. And you're like, let's just keep keep it going. Keenum did something for the Players' Tribune on Friday about this. And I think he's, he's dead right. He's like, this is just so much fun. They get along. Yep. I think it's a good group of guys. So I actually think that the way that that game came to a conclusion on Sunday helps them as far as their potential focus goes. And I was thinking the other day about the moment when the captains were brought in to meet with Mike Zimmer to talk about the quarterback situation. And they all decided collectively, this is Everson Griffin and Terrence Newman, Harrison Smith. I'm missing somebody, but uh, Riley Reef. So he brought them in to ask them what they thought about the quarterback situation. And they voted to have Case Keenum continue as the quarterback because they had been winning with him as opposed to turning to Teddy Bridgewater. Now, whether they made the right decision or not, uh, you know, I mean, I guess they get this playoff moment, but we'll see as we go toward the Super Bowl here. Um, but 
that's one of those things where, A, it's Mike Zimmer changing the way he did business, I think, in a, in a major positive way. But it's also the team coming together at that moment. Not that they weren't before because they knew they were good before. But I think at that point, it's Mike Zimmer handing the power to the players and saying, you make this decision. You guys are behind him or you're not. And they all said, we are behind him. And now they've they've had, I think, the strongest locker room by far yeah. that I have ever been around in my life. And I, and I go from player to player to player. Somebody asked me yesterday, like, oh, are these guys as cocky as the Jaguars? <laughs> no, they're the exact opposite <laughs> of the Jaguars. These guys are assassins. They're not like... They're not guys who are slam dunking and dancing after, which is fine and I like, but they're they're guys who hit a cold blooded three and then just walk back down the court. Yeah, the Jaguars are a bunch of James Bonds where they're like they're gonna they're gonna taunt you before they kill you and then they're gonna kill you and have some like quippy line and they're gonna you know, they're flashy. And uh yeah, I mean it is you're right. The Vikings don't have anyone who's gonna come out. Like the most boisterous Vikings defensive players are Everson Griffin, who's just yeah. Happy go lucky and happy to be alive. He's not the the most he trash talked all year was like the De, the Detroit Lions tackle once. He said, yeah, yeah the guys you call him a turnstile or something. Uh, lazy. Yeah, called him said, lazy. He said he was lazy. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's really it, right? And he's and he didn't do that again with anybody else, which makes me think. Oh that yeah, he probably, got called in. Probably Zimmer said, okay, that's cute and I love you, but yeah. don't do that. I again. mean, Harrison <laughs> Smith is so nondescript and such a quiet assassin. He didn't even make the Pro Bowl. What was that's why yeah. he didn't make the Pro Bowl. Yeah. What was the Smith line that I think Zimmer talked about yesterday? Where he said something to to Smith about opponents, and Smith said, "Every opponent scares me. That's why I play so hard all the time." Yeah, it's a great quote. But I mean, that's that's the reflection of th- this team. They don't trash talk. You have the feeling that for the most part, they respect their opponents. They're actually scared, but because they're scared and they're good, they're more dangerous. I, I think that the hitman for Harrison Smith is one of the greatest and per- most perfect nicknames that I've ever heard because that is one hundred percent his mentality. That, that, that he is exactly what you envision when you think of a, of a dude standing in a room, quiet, putting together his gun, kills the guy, and just walks out and never thinks about it again. Like, that's how he is in the locker room. And it's crazy with some of these guys. They're superstar players. I mean, highly paid, $50 million guys. And on a Friday, when everybody else is kind of letting their hair down a little bit, Harrison Smith has got his iPad over in the corner <laughs> and he's still watching stuff. I mean, it is it is unbelievable. They go. Terrence Newman leads extra uh, film sessions himself for all the other corners. So even though they've already done their work with Jerry Gray, they've already done their work with Mike Zimmer. Newman wants them to look at more stuff. Yeah. After that, that's a little like you know, b- b- people always talked about Brett Favre and all these other ways like this. You know, per- Brett Favre was always the last guy, the f- the first guy in, last guy out, and kind of set that tone for the 2009 team. He'd yeah. go back in. Yeah, I mean, he'd be there till After 10 hours, o'clock. And he'd go back. Of course, then he threw a you know franchise-altering interception in the, the most crucial moment of the season against the Saints. But that, the, You know, the Gruden sit-down. I'm going to miss Gruden a lot. Gruden's my kind of guy. Spider Y2 banana, I got that tattooed on my back. Uh, but, I mean, really, like, his sit-downs with quarterbacks are incredible. And I loved what you guys played with the Case Keenum yesterday. His sit-down with Favre, the one thing you take away, Favre, he showed Favre a clip of film from 1994, and Favre, Knew all the reads and calls on that play. This is like this guy has unbelievable knowledge of the game, and that's that's how I would describe this Vikings team. Is they're incredibly talented, but this is the smartest bunch of people I've ever been around. Yeah. They just know their sport, and you know Stefan Diggs is is one of the guys that's at the top of that list, and his hard work 
pays ends up paying off for him to get that moment. Super fun uh, to follow this playoff run and the coverage that Matthew Collar's pumping out on 1500ESPN.com and what these guys are doing on the Purple Podcast. Go so check much it out. Podcasting. Get in. We had a record number of downloads for like Ventline the other day too. Just people crying on live radio. It was it was fun. Great. So all right, get out of here. Lou Nanny's coming in next. Mackie and Judd. Uh, a lot of Vikings discussion, I'm guessing, with Lou Nanny when we come back here.